You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's pray. Father, we surrender to you, and Lord, honestly, um, surrendering is very hard in one sense. You only surrender to those you trust. And yet you have given us every reason to trust you. And so surrender ought to be just natural for their children to surrender to the Heavenly Father. Just natural because of the way that you have loved us in Christ. The way that you have sent him to save us and to do for us everything that we could not do. And so Lord, you have proven yourself faithful again and again worthy of trust and praise. And so we surrender now to you. We surrender, Lord God, our hearts. We surrender our minds. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit as we look into your word, Lord, that you would teach us. We would have humble, teachable hearts that your word would speak to us and change us. God, would we be changed? We wouldn't be the same people in 45 minutes from now as we are right now. We want to be changed. We want to be absolutely transformed and only you can do this by your word and spirit and so we pray to the only one who can do this fully confident and expectant that you will do what you've promised to do that you will complete the good work that you've begun in us and you will change us we love you and thank you for this and so we surrender to you in your name amen amen great if you can grab your bibles and turn them to psalm 67. That would be helpful for you and for me. We are continuing in our summer series, Summer in the Psalms, and it is great to be able to uh, pick up where uh, Marvin McCudi has been uh, taking us through Psalm 103 for the last few weekends. And so now we're going to jump back a few Psalms to Psalm 67. If you don't have a Bible with you, these uh, wonderful people in blue shirts going up and down aisles are handing out Bibles. If you want one, just raise your hand. They will be eager to give one to you and then just crack it open to the middle and find your way to Psalm 67. If you have an opportunity just to swing by our house or even kind of walk by the sidewalk, you will hear often music and singing coming from our house. Our kids, us, we just love Music, we love singing happening. Uh, if you are upstairs, you will hear kids just singing songs or listening to music or something on a shuffle or an iPad or something like that. You'll, not an iPad, an iPod, all those i things. I don't know, they're listening to music. And if you're in the basement, that's where they can kind of rock out. They'll have like, there's a guitar, there's maybe some drums. They're just singing at the top of their lungs. Uh, there's lots of music that's happening in our house. One of my favorite times actually is when we try to get together after supper for some family worship time. Just really simple, we read, pray, sing. Just read some scripture, pray together, and sing. And that's where we, we have these old hymnals. We uh, were given them from a, a church that was getting rid of them. Uh, they were updating some their hymnals, and so we got their old ones. And so we crack these open, we try to sing some classics, and I don't know how to read music, and they don't know these old songs, but we're just making a joyful noise unto the Lord, emphasis on the noise, and it is just a lot of fun just to, just to sing our hearts out to the God. 
Another time that I really love when we get to sing is when the church family gets together. This family of faith, us as brothers and sisters in Christ from all sorts of places, from every different background and ethnicity to be able to come together and sing, to sing about our common faith, to sing about our common savior, Jesus Christ. I just love it, whether we're coming here on a Sunday, whether we're maybe gathering at a Wednesday prayer meeting, we're coming together and singing God's praises. And maybe you have a couple of special memories, I know I do, of just times where it just seemed like God's presence was so powerfully with us as we were singing. It's like he was right there. And that's our prayer Sunday after Sunday and prayer meeting after prayer meeting, that God would be with us so powerfully in his presence because the scripture says that he resides or he dwells in the praises of his people. Such precious thing to praise God. And it's really quite natural, you see. The church has always been doing this. This isn't something we've come up with in the 21st century. God's people have always sung. It's kind of, it just runs in the family. Singing just runs in the family. If you look at Ephesians 5, you cannot help but when you're filled with the Spirit to make songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, it just bubbles out of you. You cannot help but sing God's praises. It's the speech of the saints. It's the dialect of the church. This is what runs through our veins. We cannot be saved and not sing. It just comes out. And so it's no surprise that when we get our Bibles or if you got got one from an usher and you opened it up to the very middle, there's a whole section here of songs, 150 songs that the Spirit of God has inspired and given to his church to sing and to sing and make melody in their heart. And Psalm 67 is one of them. So let us read this and pray that God would let us make it melodious in our own hearts. Psalm 67 starts this way. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Psalm 67, as you can tell, is really a a prayer. A prayer put to music. This is often the case. These songs, these psalms are really God's truth put to music. They are, they are, are sonnets of supplication. They are, they are pleas and, and prayers of God put to music. They're, they're all these different things that the people of God, they can declare truth. They can pray prayers. They can do all these things and it's all put to music. And so there's nothing different here that we find in Psalm 67. It is a prayer, an urgent prayer that's been put to music. And the thing that they are asking God, the thing that they are requesting of God, is that he would make good on a promise he made. That he would actually fulfill one of the most incredible promises he made in all of scripture to a man named Abraham. 
And we find that promise in Genesis 12, verses two and three, where God promises Abraham that I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's many things that we can say here that God is, is promising, but there's at least two incredible, unconditional promises God is saying to Abraham. One, that Abraham will be blessed. And two, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So Abraham's gonna be blessed, and all the families, all the peoples of the earth will also be blessed, but through Abraham. You know, it's kind of like... Um, it's actually nothing like the way we use the word blessing today. There's lots of confusion today about the word blessing. Sometimes we'll jot that down at the end of an email, God bless you, or we'll, someone will sneeze and you say, bless you, or you'll hear someone on TV says, God will bless you if you just give seed money or something. That's, these are all very confusing ways of saying and manipulative ways of saying confusing uh, the idea of God's blessing. What it means to be blessed by God or to be uh, to be blessed by the Lord is simply to live a life of faith in God, experiencing the fullness of God. To live a life of faith in God, experiencing the fullness of God. As you and I trust in the Lord and all that he is and all that he has done and all that he has said, we begin to experience his fullness. We begin to experience his, his presence, his closeness, his comfort. We begin to experience his provision, his, his protection as a refuge. We begin to uh, hear his word and understand more clearly how we ought to live. By his grace, we are transformed in these ways. We experience his blessing. So that we begin to understand that we experience his presence and power by his spirit. We can begin to understand his will and his ways according to his word. We can begin to share in and delight in his protection and provision by his grace. These are all ways in which God blesses or gives us his fullness because when someone trusts in the Lord, the Lord gives all of himself to those who trust in him. It's not like he gives a little bit, like a few, a few little entrees or appetizers and holds the rest back. He gives all of himself to those who trust in him, to those who turn to him. He gives all of himself, and if you get all of God, then you are blessed. You have received all of God. And God's blessing, yes, it does involve the physical provision, yes, but the emphasis is on the spiritual, the emphasis is on God himself. You get God, and if you get God, you have everything. You are blessed. So when God is promising Abraham that he will bless him and bless the other nations through him, what he's saying is that, Abraham, you will know and delight in my fullness, and the rest of the world, it will also come to know and delight in my fullness through you. That's what he's promising here to Abraham. Now if we fast forward, many years later, God gives another prayer to another fellow named Aaron. Aaron is the high priest of Israel, 
and God gave him this prayer, really a pronouncement of blessing that he was to pray over the nation of Israel, God's people. In Numbers 6, 24 to 26, and it says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a prayer that I try to pray for my kiddos each night as they put their head on pillows. Uh, This is a prayer that Aaron was to pray over the nation of Israel, reminding them of who God is, reminding him, reminding them of his desire and intention and promise to bless them, be gracious to them. And the wording here in Aaron's prayer that's picking up the same idea in the promise to Abraham, and that's exactly what we find in our song today in Psalm 67. The psalmist is intentionally trying to remind us or help us recall, oh yeah, this reminds me of Genesis 12. This reminds me of Numbers 26. This reminds me of the promise to Abraham and the Aaron, the Aaronic prayer that was given to God's people that God has made a promise that he will bless his people and that according to this psalm, they're actually supposed to ask for it. They're actually supposed to pray and ask God, would you bless us? Would you cause your face to shine upon us? Such a a powerful word picture here. If you took uh, this idea of God's blessing, this idea of the fullness of God being expressed towards his people, God gives us this word picture of his face shining upon his people. What a beautiful picture. You know, like when a thunderstorm rolls through and everything's dark and cloudy and then all of a sudden the sun cuts through the dark clouds and shafts of light begin to refract all over the sky and onto the land and on the ground and eventually kind of splashes onto your face and you just feel the light and the warmth sinking in. It's almost like it's going in through your pores and it's like you're drinking a warm drink of sunshine. It's just filling you from the outside in. That's what it's like. That's what it's like to have God's face shine upon you. It's as though his face is like the sun and the the kindness and the love of God is like light and warmth shining, radiating onto his people, pouring out on them, pouring into them. Why? Why? Why does God give us such a vivid picture It's not so that we can just suntan in his face. It's because it's as he is shining his light and life into us, it now begins to radiate out through us. And this was the very intention and plan for Abraham and, and his people in Israel, is that as they were trusting in the Lord and living under his blessing, experiencing his fullness, his light would shine on them and in them and through them so that all the nations sitting in darkness would go, what is that light? What is going on over there? And be attracted to it and go to it. And then as they come, they see and hear of the Lord and come to know him and trust him and begin to delight in him and sing his praises. And this is exactly the reason why, and this is what Psalm 67 gives us as to why, why would God's people, why would God command his people to pray that he would bless them? It's not for their own monetary gain, it's not for them to make themselves look awesome and famous, it's so that they would be like 
a glass vessel as God pours his light into them that they become almost like a lighthouse, a beacon spreading the light and life of the gospel of, of the Lord all around. And this is exactly what verse three, four, and five say in 67. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse five, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is why the psalmist is asking God to bless his people. This is why we as God people are to ask God for his blessing so that we may shine and the nations would come and that they would sing. God wants the nations to be glad, but to be glad in him. He is the wellspring of joy. He is the source of all satisfaction. That is the purpose. We must pray for God's blessing so that the nations will sing his praise. So that the nations will sing his praise. It's our hope to spread the fame of God throughout all the world so that everyone everywhere may do what they were designed to do, to sing his praise. I remember in 2003, it was the summertime, I was on an airplane somewhere across the Atlantic Ocean. I was heading to a mission trip in Africa and I would brought a book with me by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. Sorry, just remembering that. And I remember right at the very beginning of that book, there's a little statement, just a little statement that really changed the way I viewed all of missions and said this, missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. There are many, many places on this earth that do not worship the one true and living God. And if worship of the one true and living God is not happening in some place, then missions must happen in that place because those people made in the image of God were made to sing his praises. They were made to sing to God and to enjoy God and all of his beauty and all of his characteristics and all of his works and all that he has done and all of his promises and the things that he has said to his people. They don't know it. And so they live in darkness and they don't sing. The reason why God's people have to pray for God's blessing, as Psalm 67 says, is so that the nations will worship, so that the nations will sing. It's like a, a, a fire. If you, if you picture a campfire, you need logs on that fire to keep the fire going, to keep it burning hot. The more logs you add, the hotter the, the flame goes, and yet if you start taking logs off the fire, it dwindles down. And so this song not only commands God's people to ask for God's blessing so that they would be a light to the nations, so that the nations will sing, it's not only helping us sing and telling us to sing, it's throwing logs on the fire of our 
worship. We, there was a song that we sang earlier that, that our heart would be on fire for the Lord. That's a, a word picture we get from the scriptures that our worship would be like a flaming fire that, that is burning red hot for the Lord. And so we want to fan that fire into flame and we wanna throw more logs on the fire so it burns hotter and hotter. And so this song not only tells us to sing but then throws logs on the fire so that our, it fuels our worship. And one of the first logs it throws on there is in verse two. It says this, that the way, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. God has a saving way. There's a way that God works and it's a saving way. It's a saving power. And this is one of the logs that God throws on the fire of our worship we're like, who, what kind of a God is this? What, what are the ways of this God? His ways are a saving way. It's interesting how in Isaiah 35, God describes this way. He calls it a highway of holiness that only the redeemed walk on. And it's not, when he says that, it's not saying like, oh, just the super spiritual walk on this. You know, they're really self-righteous. No, not at all. It says the redeemed, those who not are self-righteous, but those who are rescued, those who have been forgiven, those who have been given such grace, they are placed on this highway of holiness so that they may walk in it. And Jesus himself says that that highway, that way was actually pointing to him. In John 14, verse six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father but through me, but by me, but through him. There's a lot of people today and religions and different systems of belief that claim to know God, that claim to have this pathway of salvation. But God himself says, this is my son, listen to him. And Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life. You can't get to the Father. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other trail. There's no other route. There's no other pathway to get to God. There's not many roads that are leading to God and Jesus is just kind of the fastest one. The other ones kind of take a longer route, but they get there. That's a lie. Jesus says, I am the way. And the Father says, listen to him. Jesus comes and says, I am the door. I am the narrow gate. Come, enter through me, and I will bring you to the Father. And he always fulfills his promises. And so we pray, we pray that God would bless us. He would cause his face to shine upon us so that the nations would come to see and know of the Lord and sing his praises because of his saving power through Jesus Christ. But that's not the only log on the fire of our worship that this song gives us. It gives us a couple of more. You may have noticed in verse four, we skipped over a little section there. So let's go back to verse four. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For, for, that's an important word, because of these two reasons I'm about to tell you. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. You judge and you guide. There's those two words 
are a perfect description of God's shepherding care, his shepherding hand upon his people. So that the reason, another reason why we want to pray for God's blessing and that we need to is so that the nations would see God as their shepherd, that they would see God as their shepherd. The word judge here doesn't mean, you know, we get this idea that God's up there with his arms crossed and his brow furled and just kind of waiting to condemn people, waiting to sentence them in their guilt. But no, the, the, the word here that is used for judge is one of God coming as a defender of the weak, of someone who rushes in and brings justice to those who are being oppressed in injustice. Those who, a God who comes in and hears the cry of the needy and of the weak and of the poor and says help, and God rushes in and brings help and balances the books and brings his justice to the joy of the nations. And then he uses this word, not only is God a, a just judge and a defender of the weak, but he uses this word as a guide, a good guide, a shepherding guide who shepherds his people perfectly, helping care for all of their needs and providing for them in every way they need. And of course, no nation would know this better than Israel itself. I mean, Israel was shepherded and led by God up out of the slavery of Egypt and led and shepherded, guided by 40 years in the wilderness by the Lord and then guided and led into the promised land so that Israel, like no other nation, could sing with David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The Lord is a perfect shepherd. And so he is a good guide and a just judge. And those together with his saving power, he shows himself as the perfect shepherd, worthy of all of our praise and adoration. And these are the logs, so to speak, that the psalmist gives us that will fuel not only our worship, but the worship of all the nations, of why we would want to ask God, Lord, pour your blessing out on us so that the nations would see how awesome you are and that they would see the reasons why you're awesome, the logs on the fire, while they would have their own worship fanned in the flame for you. And this was Israel's prayer. This was Israel's song. And they were beginning to see God actually answer this prayer. Verse six says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Israel was actually beginning to see the fruit of the earth being born. God bearing fruit among the nations. Nations actually coming to Israel and hearing about the Lord and trusting in him. It happened right as soon as Israel left Egypt. You have Jethro, a Midianite priest, a pagan priest, hearing about from his son-in-law, Moses, what the Lord had done and all the incredible things about the Lord. And he joined himself with God's people and trusted in him as Lord. You see this under King David. You see Hittites and Canaanites joining themselves to the Lord, joining themselves with David. You see this under the reign of King Solomon. Nations flooding in to Israel to see what God has done. The Queen of Sheba coming and blessing the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Israel was beginning to see Psalm 67 answered. But then something went wrong. 
this very nation that was supposed to be a light, that was supposed to sing this song on behalf of the Gentiles, on behalf of the, the nations, no longer sang it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They turned toward the very nations that they were supposed to be a light to and they embraced their darkness of idolatry and they became just as lost as the nations that they were supposed to reach. And they turned their back on God and rebelled against him so that no longer the light of God was shining through them. No longer were they actually pointing the nations to the Lord. And you might think at this point, well, I guess God's promise to Abraham is not going to be fulfilled. I guess that prayer that Aaron was praying isn't actually going to be answered. I guess the whole thing is a flop. And that is not true at all. God always keeps his promises. They are yes and amen in Christ. And so God himself comes and keeps his promise to Abraham and answers the prayer of Aaron by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who is the true Israel and the seed of Abraham, who is blessed of God, and in through Christ is a blessing now to all nations. He is the answer to Aaron's prayer and the purpose of Israel to be a light to all nations so that all nations would see the beauty of the Lord and trust in him and be saved. Which is exactly what Isaiah 49 says when God is thinking about Jesus, the one whom he's going to send, and he says, it's too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up merely the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. No, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small of a thing for Jesus just to save one people, one nation. There are thousands and thousands of peoples that God wants to save and he sends his son, not as a mere candle to one nation, but as a lighthouse for the world to come and see the goodness of God and taste and see that the Lord is good. John 8, we read that Jesus says, I am this light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus is the light of life. Jesus is the very face of God and smile of God incarnate. Come to earth to shine the fullness of God around to all people so that they may come and put their faith and trust in him. Jesus is the answer to Psalm 67. Jesus himself is the very answer to Aaron's, uh, Aaron's prayer and Abraham's promise. We now see Jesus as the one that no matter where you're from, no matter what culture, what background, what ethnicity, ethnicity, what language you speak, whatever generation you may be in, if you trust in this one, if you trust in this light that God has sent, you will be saved. You will be saved. God says that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
the light of the world has come. God has become man to live a life of perfect obedience, to die a death obediently to the Father, to rise again victoriously so that anyone who trusts in him is not only forgiven of all of their sins, not only has their sinful heart changed to a new heart, but they actually now can share in the resurrected eternal life of Jesus who now is raised and is seated at the right hand of God and lives with indestructible life. Everyone who trusts in him from any nation, tribe, and tongue can share in that. And so we can also look at verse six and say, yes, the earth has yielded its increase. We are already beginning to see this again being fulfilled. I mean, look around us. Look at this church. I love this church. I love our church family, people from all around the world, all sorts of different ethnicities and cultures. You are living proof that the gospel has come a long way from Jerusalem to Brampton. You are living proof that the gospel is going to all nations. Let me give you a little bit more detail on that. There's roughly 700 million Christians, born again believers on the earth. That's the estimate. Not just merely Christian adherents, there's about 2.2 billion of those. We're talking about evangelical, born again believers. People who say, I'm trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, they're born again. About 700 million. Did you know that the number of believers in the world is growing twice as fast as Islam and about three times as fast as Hinduism? Did you know that China, China which used to be a, a, an incredibly unreached country has experienced such revival in the last several decades that there's now 6% of their nation which used to be pretty much atheistic is now 6% evangelical. Now you might think, that's 6%. But 6% of 1.3 billion people is about 90 million, which is three times or so, about three times the amount of citizens as there are in Canada. That's how many Christians there are right now in China. God is doing a great work. The gospel is spreading. In the last 50 years, a conservative estimate is that about 10 million Muslims have converted to Christianity around the world in the last 50 years which is exponentially more than they have been able to understand from history over the last 1,400 years. God is doing something unique in our day. It's like he's dialing things up and doing something special. In the country of Iran itself, they are experiencing a 20% growth rate in the number of believers per year. Thousands are flooding to Christ this this day, like this is happening in our own day right now. Thousands, particularly in this country, in God's mercy, he is pouring himself out. Thousands and thousands are coming to Christ on a weekly basis so that at this rate, in about 30 to 40 years, Iran would actually have a majority Christian population. It's incredible what God is doing. We don't know how long he will keep this window open. And as incredible as these things are, and it's right for us to celebrate and praise the Lord for what he is doing, it is sobering to know that there are yet many who have not heard. Many who have never 
heard of the name of Jesus. They don't even know there's good news. I'm thinking of places like Pakistan. It was 190 million people, 99% of them, unreached, little to no access to the gospel. A, a people group, or to be considered an unreached people group, it's, a people group is just a group of people that have a unique language or culture. There's something distinct about them. They got something unique going on, and so they're a people group. We've identified them as a people group. And there's about 16,000, there's over 16,000 people, group, people groups on this globe. And some countries have a lot of people groups in them, and some not so much. Like in North Korea, there's really just one people group, Korean, and they're almost 99% Unreached, little to no access to the gospel. Here in Pakistan, 99%, almost the, all, the un, all of those people in Pakistan, that, the mass majority, unreached. I think of India. India now is the most populous country in the world. It is above China now. And out of all those people groups that I mentioned, there are 6,700 or so unreached people groups, people groups that have little to no access to the gospel. A third of them are in India. Imagine this massive concentration of those who have not heard the gospel. And some people groups have several thousands, some people groups have hundreds of thousands, some people groups have millions of people who have never heard the gospel. There are half a million villages in India that have had no known presence of the gospel whatsoever, ever. Half a million villages. Millions upon millions of people who have never heard. How will they hear? How will they know about the Lord? How will they sing his praises? How will they call upon him who they've never believed? And how will they believe on him who they have not heard and how will they hear unless someone is preaching, someone is speaking, someone is singing, someone is going and telling them. And as sobering as this is, there are yet other people groups that have heard the gospel and in times past have embraced the gospel, but in recent days have turned away from the gospel and have abandoned it and have rejected it as foolishness. I'm thinking of people groups like the millions of Portuguese around the world of which only 3% are born again. I'm thinking of the millions of Dutch around the world of which only 4% are professing born again believers. I'm thinking of the millions of Greek around the world the New Testament was written in Greek. 0.5, a half a percent of Greek people profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In Canada, I mean, we have 7% evangelical here in Canada, and yet the Quebecois, predominantly in the province of Quebec, is an unreached people group with less or roughly about half a percent, less than a percentage of them born-again believers, which is why we are so eager to partner with Brad and Emily Morris as they were a part of that church plan in Montreal, particularly geared towards reaching Quebecois 
for they are unreached in our own country. Not to mention the 45 or so other unreached people groups who are here natively here in Canada or who have come here from around the world. There are such incredible opportunities. They're not waiting for us to go. They've actually come. God has worked in his sovereign power through all sorts of different immigration policies over the decades of our country to bring the nations to us. If we won't go in his kindness, and perhaps in his rebuke, he has brought them to us to make it so easy for us. We don't have to get a plane ticket now. We just gotta get our shoes on and go across the, the street. What an opportunity we have here in Canada to reach the nations and nations who have been reached and yet have abandoned the gospel. And the most sad part about it is that the people group and the nation that originally sang this song no longer sings it. The very people group that once sang Psalm 67 so that the nations would hear about the goodness of the Lord and come to him, they no longer sing it. In fact, now Gentile believers take Psalm 67 and sing it on behalf of this nation. It is now the roles have been reversed, the singers have been switched, and Gentile Christians now sing on behalf of the lost Jews who no longer look to the Lord. There are roughly 15 million Jews around the world. A half a percent, 0.5 of them, would say that Jesus is their Messiah. There is such a great need for the gospel to be brought to the Jews. And you might be thinking, well, certainly, certainly the Jews know the gospel. I mean, Jesus was a Jew. Certainly they've heard the gospel. Yes, yes, they have. And so you might be wondering, well, shouldn't we ought not to focus on those who have not yet heard? Should we not pour our energies towards those who have not yet heard? I said, no, we are called according, we have we have on these banners here reminders of the mission of the church that Jesus himself gave, that we are to be about fulfilling the great commission and the spirit of the great commandment for the glory of God, for his fame. That is that we are to make disciples of all nations, Jew and Gentile, so that all peoples of all nations would trust in Jesus alone for salvation and follow him as a disciple and so that they may sing and worship the one who made them, and the one who saved them. That is our call, that we are to make disciples of all nations. We are, we are intent on going to all peoples to gather together a global choir that worships the Lord in fear and in reverence and awe and wonder, which is exactly how song, Psalm 67 finishes. You'll see there, verse seven says, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And this is the last reason why we ought to pray for God's blessing is so that every nation will fear and worship him. Every nation ought to fear and worship him. The word fear here doesn't mean to be afraid or terrified or anything like that. It means reverence, to come before the Lord and worship him in awe and reverence and honor. 
all nations, all nations. This is why we pray for God's blessing. God, would you pour out your blessing, which he has by the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might now be a light to the nations so that they may worship the Lord in awe and fear and wonder. God says he is doing this today in our own day, but that he will do it. It's not like there's a good probability. There's a strong chance that God's gonna make good on this. No, he says he will fulfill this great commission. He will fulfill the mission of going to all peoples and gathering a global choir of worshipers for the Lord. And we get a picture of this mission fulfilled in Revelation 7, where it says, after this I looked, John said, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes and robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's to the Father and to the Son. That is the picture of the mission fulfilled. That is what it's going to be like for people like you and me who have put our faith in Christ. We have been gathered up and we will be a part of that choir, that collective choir around God's throne, enjoying and delighting in his presence and singing for all eternity. And he will do it. He will fulfill Psalm 67. He is doing it and he will do it. He will accomplish the Great Commission. And so you might be wondering, well, that's great news, but what, what does it mean for me today? I mean, what, what do I do practically? What's my role in all of this? It's a very significant one, in fact. So I wanna close with these three practical ways that you can be a part of fulfilling Psalm 67. Three practical ways that you can be personally involved in helping fulfill this song. And the first is to begin to pray this song. Begin to pray this song. Pray that God would do what he promises to do here, that he would save the nations. Praise the Lord that you're saved. You're part of the nations. You're, you're wrapped up in this story. You're in on this. Praise the Lord that you've been saved and that God would use you now to save others, to be a witness of him. He saves others through you speaking. Pray that God would give you power by the Holy Spirit to have the courage to be clear. That's what the boldness of the Spirit is. I love how Pastor Ted defines boldness in the Spirit. It's just courageous clarity, to be clear and have the courage to be clear about Christ. And so this is what's happening. We ought to be praying, and we need to pray as a church. We're getting together on August 17th in a few weeks from now to gather as a church to pray. Let's pray, let's gather together, circle that date, make it a priority, because we always end up praying that people in our city of Brampton and in our country of Canada and in this world that we live in would hear and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a priority to pray collectively as a church. Pray for us as a church to know who to partner with. There's some great churches and great organizations around the world that are doing great things in advancing the Great Commission. And we want wisdom to know how can we be a part of that? Who can we partner with? And we need wisdom, so we need your prayers on that. So that's the first thing you can practically do is to begin to pray. 
begin to pray this song. The second thing that we can do practically is to begin giving toward this song, to give toward the fulfilling of this song. To be very frank, it takes cash to print Bibles. It takes money to actually make discipleship materials or to translate good evangelistic resources from one language to another or to even host a website or to rent a building like this where hundreds of people can hear the gospel regularly all at once. That actually takes money. And it's all God's. It's all God's. Every, every cent that you own, even though a penny doesn't exist in Canada anymore, every bit of the money that God has given you is actually his, entrusted to you to steward as a good steward, to be used maximally for his mission. What's his mission? The Great Commission. He wants you to use the funds that he has given you to advance the gospel as maximally as possible, locally and globally. I don't know what that's gonna look like for you. I know that many of you give. You give to the church, and that helps us reach both, both locally in our city, but also beyond nationally and internationally as we support missionaries. We support uh, Selena Luca and Desmond Watts and Peter King as we're praying for here locally as the gospel spreads out. We're supporting people nationally like the Morrises in Montreal, as we mentioned. Internationally, we've been supporting previous people like the DeBoers, but also others who are going out on short-term missions like uh, maybe we haven't heard about them yet, but Celine, uh, Cynthia and also uh, Salem. There's different people going both locally and globally. We wanna be a part of that and helping them go and bring the gospel. And you can be a part of that by giving. But there may be people you know, maybe someone you, you've come to be aware of, or you grew up with, that they're also doing missions. Maybe God is calling you to join their support team or prayer team and pray and support them financially. We, 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 you ought to be getting letters from the CRA asking you to prove with receipts why you're giving so much. We should be living as the people of God that are so crazy in the eyes of the world. Why would you be giving 20, 30% of your income away? What are you doing? Are you laundering money? No, we're giving it to other great commission. Here's my receipts. Pray. I don't know what it's gonna look for you, but I know the Lord has called you as one of his disciples to give and to give with joy, just as it was, joy, it was a joy for God to give to you by sending his son, and he gave all of his son to you. And so all of us are his. We're, all of our money is his. And so ask God, God, where do you want your money? We need to pray, we need to begin to give, and we need to begin to go begin to go and live out this song. We are all called to pray, to give, and to go. Sometimes we just think, oh, well, the people who are here in Canada, we're the ones who are to pray and maybe give, and other ones are to go. Well, I don't have to go, and they don't have to give. That's wrong. We're all, as disciples of Jesus, pray, called to pray and give and go. Some missionaries I know are actually giving way more than people I know who aren't missionaries. We are all, as disciples of Jesus, called to pray and give and go, but it's gonna look different for each one of us. I can't tell you what that's gonna look like. You have to come before the Father and say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. Do you want me to go across the street and be a missionary in my neighborhood? Do you want me to invite them in and, and around my kitchen table? I can do missions. I can actually reach, unreached people groups around my kitchen table, inviting them over and sharing my testimony, putting some good jerk chicken in front of them and sharing Christ. Uh, is that what God is calling me to? Or 
God, are you calling me to be a part of that group that goes down from our church every Saturday morning to the farmer's market to share Christ or to join somebody who shares Christ and I'm just gonna be there to pray for them. I'm not maybe, uh, that's kind of freakish for me to really just go up to strangers and share my faith, but I can pray. So I'm gonna go down there and pray with them and, and partner with them. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to uh, do all these kinds of things. There's a Christianity Explored course that we're offering this fall. And maybe you know somebody who's investigating the claims of Christ. And this course is designed for them. It walks through who he is. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? And maybe you're not just gonna invite them, but you're gonna join them and, and sit through with them that whole course so you're able to be an encouragement to them. Maybe that's what you're gonna do. Or maybe God was stirring in your heart as you heard about one of these nations, one of these people groups, and he's stirring in your heart, if I don't go, who will? And he's calling you to go. Come, talk to me, come talk to one of the pastors and the elders, we would love to pray with you and work and walk that through with you of what does that mean and how can we best prepare you and clarify what God is saying. We, as a church, desire to send as many people, locally, nationally, globally, for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. If we continue to send dozens and dozens and dozens of people, hundreds, I pray, thousands, Lord, have mercy, that they would be sent from our church so that all people might hear of Christ, then may we be found faithful. May we be found faithful. As disciples of Christ, we are all called to pray and to give and to go so that all the nations would hear and see the light of Christ, that they would know of his shepherding care, they would know his saving power, and they would be saved to sing, that this psalm would be answered so that, it, that God would be able to answer our prayers when we pray Oh, let the nations praise you, O oh God. Let all the nations praise you. Let it be so. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. The reason we praise you is because you're fulfilling this song. There's no other reason why we're all in this gym this morning except that you are faithful to keep your word, faithful to use and to use Jesus as a light, not only for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. We bless your name, and we thank you. God, would you use us? Sometimes we think, oh, who am I? I can't be used of God. I, I, I don't have a lot of money, or I don't have a lot of time. Lord, let us first surrender to you. Let us first completely hand ourselves over to you and say, God, use us as small as a, instrument in the Redeemer's hand as we might be, yet we are in the Redeemer's hand. It's not us who are impressive, it's who holds us who is impressive. Lord, you can use us, you can use us as a church, Lord God, so powerfully for your purposes and your glory. Let our name be forgotten. Let your name be spread and lifted high and believed in and loved and enjoyed and trusted. God, we pray this for the sake of of the nations. We pray this for the sake of your name and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. 
For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.